All-NBA, All-All-Star, All-Everything, Championship, and it's not stereotype championship of African waving the flag on the bench, yeah, scoring, contributing, yeah, doing everything, you know, and that you can think of. Again, I say to you guys that that guy's success is my success, no matter where he is. Thursday night on the fan pregame, Sportsnet and Sportsnet 590, the fan, Ailish and Justin. Uh, Raptors and Masai Jury been the story of, uh, I guess, our city and maybe the country, Canada's team. Uh, for the last 24 hours, they are going to face the Bulls and DeMar DeRozan tonight on Sportsnet at 7.30 p.m. And we're going to get into our thoughts on the hour-long Masai Ujiri press conference in just a minute. Uh, caught it on the Raptors show today. If you hadn't had a chance, you can go back and listen to that on podcast. But he said a lot uh, and felt a lot, and we will get into that momentarily. Leafs continue their West Coast road trip versus the Flames tonight. Uh, we've got that at 9 p.m. here on Sportsnet 590, the fan and regionally. It's the Brad Trey Living Bowl again. Uh, we'll be back on the radio at 8.30 for our pregame show, so you can catch us then. And mm-hmm. Julian McKenzie is going to join us in about 15 minutes uh, recently now of Sportsnet 960, our guys, and also the Athletic uh, Calgary, of course. And then to wrap up the show, Aaron Bronstetter again, our guy, our newest guy, uh, he's going to come in studio. He's on his way back from the UFC 297 press conference, which looked insane. <laughs> We're going to get his thoughts on everything as uh, UFC 297 is in two days. Saturday night here at Scotiabank Arena. So lots of exciting things to come. Yeah, lots of stuff going on. But of course, you know, uh, the story of the day, as you mentioned, was an emotional Masai Ujiri, mm-hmm. as we uh, heard coming into the show. Uh, and it's it's not one that I don't think has uh, the Raptors fan base divided, but it might have you and I divided just a little bit in terms of <laughs> how we digested, unpacked, and how we're dealing with uh, the fallout from that press conference. So let's get into it. Uh, I was a little surprised that it was kind of labeled a masterclass by some, that it was kind of like a unanimous approval because I think today's press conference illustrated pretty clearly why the last four and a half years I guess since the championship have been kind of clumsy and haphazard and aggravating, I guess, for a lot of Raptors fans. I think that was laid out because Masai cares so much, like entirely too much. And evidently, I think more than anyone else. To me, what I saw in this press conference was someone that was and is kind of overwhelmed by the sentiment and the feelings that are forged when you win with someone or you win with a team and an organization Mm -hmm. and what that can do in the afterglow of a championship. And for me today was like, yeah, that's the reason why the last four and a half years have not been smooth. I think it's, it's, it's a hard conversation to have because I have so much respect and understanding for Masai Ujiri and his emotional connection and the dedication and the hard work and the empathy it takes in that role. Um, but I also understand that sometimes having all of that can be like blinding at times. Your emotion and your your gratitude and the love you have for your players might make making difficult decisions harder. And I think he did admit to that a little bit in terms of maybe holding on to um, this team a little too long and not making the right decision at the right time because he wanted to believe that the guys could dig themselves out of something. Last year being an example at the trade deadline, right, when the team was below 500, decided to buy to get Yaka Pertle, to get rid of a first-round pick because he really believed in that team. And I think we can all see that as a basketball decision that probably wasn't the right decision to make, right? 
Um, but when we look at the culture and the the foundation that Masai Jerry has built here through winning a championship and afterwards, that to me is almost really hard to value, right? Because everybody that talks about Masai Jerry and talks about the Raptors organization, talks about everybody that works there and talks about the players, speaks so highly about the culture, the organization, the feeling in there. And I think that Masai Jerry stakes his reputation on that. And he's probably the best president that I can think of in sports that really champions that, right? Mm-hmm. But in today's press conference, you saw him wear that like that emotion on his sleeve. And I think it got to us feeling a little bit differently about can you be working on building championship culture when you have a culture built on relationships as like the main most important thing. Yeah. And I, I think the big, the, the word for me was sentiment and, and what sentiment uh, gets in the way of can sentiment be blinding. Mm. Uh, here are things that I think sentiment have proven uh, to be disruptive uh, in terms of the team building process for the Raptors. I mean, sentiment netted zero return on Kyle Lowry sentiment allowed Fred Van Vliet to walk Mm -hmm. for nothing sentiment made the Pascal Siakam trade pretty excruciating when it seemed like yeah this is where it needed to be for a very long time at least among fans of the Toronto Raptors and I think one other thing that like stuck with me is that sentiment brought RJ Barrett to this organization when Masai Ujiri was talking about how important it was to bring RJ home and he was talking about the relationship with Rowan and his relationship with RJ before RJ made it to the NBA. It was like, okay, are we just bringing, are we just cultivating relationships mm-hmm. and, and uh, you know, surrounding ourselves with our friends? Or are we trying to build towards a championship? And to me, championships, and to an average fan, I hope championships are more valuable than the friendships and the good working environments that you have with the Toronto Raptors. To me, like... If sentiment is going to get in the way of things, then it's not in the fans' best interest. It's in Masai Ujiri's best interest, mm-hmm. and I, I don't. Somehow, I think today those things got conflated for me. I don't. I find it hard to to pull apart um, sentiment and relationships from the culture, which eventually gets you to winning a championship. And maybe it's because I've played in a lot of organizations or a lot of teams where culture was so important, like it was the foundation to getting to a winning organization. The Raptors did win. And everybody that talks about that team, it was this culture that was unstoppable, unbreakable, the bench mob and all those things that come together to create the team that puts the banner up. Like, I don't think the team is as as successful if Messiah Jury doesn't care to almost a fault about his players and about building that like, I think it reflects so highly on the players that speak about him, speak about what it means to be a Toronto Raptor. I think it means a lot to the fan base, which ultimately, yeah, I'm sure they'd rather win a ba- have a banner than have the team of best friends. But in terms of building an organization that people want to come to, I think it, I think it does mean something. I don't but, think you but, mean it as much because we talked about this off air, but like, I think if your organization looks like an organization that I want to come play for because everybody respects everybody and it's, it's a it's an it's a culture of a buy-in. I think that means something to someone that might want to come play for the Raptors. Where, where, where's the proof of concept there? Because I guess R.J. Barrett was very happy to come home, but home is Toronto for him. Mm-hmm. This isn't like 
hey, I see the value in that startup company and I want to spend my time there. No, this is RJ Barrett needing a fresh start because Mm -hmm. it wasn't working in New York and getting something he's immensely familiar with. I I do think it matters when you get in the doors, but I don't think it matters at all to getting people through the doors. And, And I think one of the things here is that Masai is building feelings that may not be reciprocated, right? Like Kyle wanted to do something else, right? So Mm -hmm. Kyle left and Fred left, you know, in a position where that asset needed to be managed better. Kawhi Leonard got up and left. Pascal Siakam, I think it was about money and I know he wanted the money from the Raptors, but there was the money first. Like, I don't know if the feelings that Masai Ujiri has for the players... And, and the employees are, is different here. I'm sure the employees feel the same mm-hmm. way. But I just don't think that the feelings are being reciprocated in the same way. And I think Fred Van Vliet is the biggest example of that. I mean, Fred had nothing before he came to the Toronto Raptors. Fred built his NBA empire mm-hmm. with the Toronto Raptors. But we're talking about millions the money of dollars. Else. Millions of dollars. Like, I like you, Justin. I love my family. But if somebody said... Do you want $150 million? I would probably say yes. you just said yes. you were going to be wooed by the Raptors culture. 100%. But it came down to money. And I don't think that's like, oh, I don't like you anymore, Masai. I don't feel the same level of love for you, so I'm going to go get my bag. I'm bet on myself, Fred Van Vliet. That's always sure. been his mentality. He wasn't bet on myself, but, oh, Masai, you're my best friend, so I'm not going to go chase a max amount of money that I could get in my career and set my family up. Like, I think there's a well, different, it's we, a business know, for people we too. We know Masai Ujiri's had other options, right? We know other people have wanted to work with Masai mm-hmm. Ujiri and he's held firm because he wants to be with this organization, with the mm-hmm. people that he's had so much success success with. I just don't think, I don't think the strong feelings from the president of the Toronto Raptors is something that is going to lure everyone in and have them feel the exact same way. I think that is proven. It hasn't got the Raptors any new players, any deci- any Raptors or any players that they have brought in have been traded for or acquired through the draft. Like, I will it's not say, like I think Toronto, I think the city them. of Toronto, the, being the only Canadian franchise in a place that isn't like LA, I think sure. that works against us. I sure. wouldn't just say it's because you know of Maasai or or whatever. Sure, I think if you dropped Toronto into a nice warm climate. With different tax bracket and not that, the only this country. Is, this is like a what if hypothetical, yeah. right? Well, you're also using a what if hypothetical that nobody wants to come to Toronto, but it's not just that's, that's proof. Like, yeah, but that's we, not because uh, what, of Masai. What free agent has come here? What free agent has bought into that? Like, we. But just, that's not because that's of Masai or the see. Raptors organization. No. I think that they are doing the best job they can to make their situation attractive. My point is that he romanticizes when no one else is romanticizing the same way. He's an emotional guy. And what does that mean for the future of of this team? Like, we should play the clip when he talks about DeMar DeRozan. Yeah. Because he talks about how hard the job is. And his great success came from the hardest decision that he's ever had to make. So my question after listening to this, which we'll get to in a second, is, is this guy prepared to continue making hard decisions, or is that not possible anymore for him? Let's hear the clip. Do you think it would benefit you to be a bit colder uh, and be able to... Colder than I am now? (laughs) I mean, goddamn, I'm like... (laughs) I'm like, what? (laughs) 
you know, do you like because obviously it hurts you to like to have to move on from these guys. Uh, man, like, yeah, I don't know if it gets any colder, man. Yeah, I don't know. You know, like this, this is tough business. Yeah, I walked around a hotel for two hours, two hours in Kenya to sum up courage to call Demar. Yeah, and I'm a tough mother. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, excuse my language. So he's talking about making the difficult decision to trade DeMar DeRozan, which ultimately leads to winning a championship. He also mm-hmm. had to make the difficult decision to fire Coach of the Year, Dwayne Casey. After being swept back-to-back years by the Cleveland Cavaliers. But both Cavaliers. of those things didn't go over well with the fan base, right? Like I think it was ready to move on from Dwayne Casey. Either way, they were difficult decisions to make, and he did them. He has made some difficult decisions in terms of like having to move off players, whether it's timely or not. But that one for you resonated more that that quote about DeMar DeRozan because you think that that's an issue that he's struggling with of like letting go yeah and and, and I mean that he knows very well that that's a decision that I guess he wrestled with immensely Mm -hmm. but it's one that brought the greatest success not only to that franchise but to the city in a very very long time Mm -hmm. when it comes to sports if not if for not for that move they don't have the championship we're still chasing something that we have no actual tangible feeling of, mm-hmm. right? So he knows what it costs, what it takes, what sort of attitude, the cold-blooded nature of this entire thing to get it done. And yet, yeah, you have all this success and you build these friendships and you build these relationships and things that are not even of the same stakes, it's just letting go. It's just not being... Oh, uh, not having this coworker mm. anymore is excruciating to him. So what happens next time a, an opportunity presents itself and he's wrestling with those, that same decision or wrestling with that same uh, emotion? Is he going to be able to set aside those emotions to do what is best for the team? Is it friendships or is it championships? I think that's the big thing here that I'm taking from this press conference. I would say I think being this the last player of that dynasty that won a championship, that team that meant so much to him, I actually do think that maybe this is like the fresh break, the clean slate, right? Obviously, Pascal Siakam and Masai Ujiri have a very, very deep and lengthy relationship. I don't assume that that was, you know, dramatized today. I think that that meant... I think that was probably the hardest thing he's ever probably had to do as a professional in this realm is to trade the guy that you helped bring to this country to play basketball from a very, very young age. And you you really rooted his life. Like we heard all about that today with Messiah Jury. And he said it, his success is my success. But that can just live in a different world, right? And, and, and I, it needs I, to. I do and think... And if he held on, it's not good for him and it's not good for Pascal. I do think that... This now being the end of that, maybe Masai is realizing, and we're going to move on to Julia McKenzie in a second, uh, so we'll wrap this up. But I do think that having a fresh slate, a bright future, young talent on the team, I think that this is the changing, turning of the tides. It's the start of something new. And I hope he, it is. He did say that. He did repeat that, you know, we're excited about the future. We're going to make more trades before the trade deadline. We have assets. I don't think we're going to use all three of them at the draft. So... 
looking forward to starting fresh because now it's Scotty Barnes's team and there's no more debate and there's no more looking backwards. Let's hope. Um, let's bring in Julia McKenzie of Sports at 960 in the Athletic in Calgary. Uh, we got Maple Leafs and Flames tonight. Um, what is going on, Julia? Nice to see you. Good to see you guys. I was I was really enthralled with the uh, the Raptors conversation. <laughs> yeah, going sorry, on. We, uh... I, I was ready for you guys to go on for another twenty minutes. <laughs> sorry about that. We're just you know we uh, no. Please don't apologize. Romanticizing. You, guys, really you got a Ujiri take, Julia? <laughs> look, man. I, look, I. That is so tough for him to go mm-hmm. through all these trades over the last few years. They're past that championship era now. I I think he did all right in the trade. He probably should have rebuilt from last year, but. He had to do what he had to do. At least he got three first rounds out of it. I mean, maybe if he would have gotten like Ben Matherin and two first rounders out of it, maybe mm-hmm. we'd look at the trade differently. But at least he got something for Pascal Siakam. Um, okay, let's talk trades because two teams coming in here on very different vibes tonight. Uh, one team on a four-game mm-hmm. winning streak, one team on a four-game losing streak. Um, the Flames, obviously, were a hot topic a couple months ago about, all right, they're going to sell off. Like It's going to be a big trade frenzy when it comes. But have they... Turn the around the corner here, or is it a facade when you look at what might have to happen at the trade deadline? It's still really up in the air, and I, I, I can't help but think of when the Flames made the trade for trading away to Zadorov to Vancouver, and mm. people in this market got pretty up in, in arms about it. it was right after playing the Leafs, wait. too. It was right after playing the Leafs, yeah. And, and all of a sudden, he became this trade target for the Leafs. And a lot of people in this market were a little bit taken aback at the fact that Craig Conroy didn't wait to offload him. But what people don't realize is that that essentially bottom cap space, Craig Conroy, and time, if, if the team somehow plays at a level where they got out of a season beginning six game losing streak and they played above expectations and they put themselves in like a top three position uh, in their division, then it's a little bit easier to maybe go to your pending UFAs and think, hey, maybe I should keep them. Maybe you might still have to offload a few guys. Oh, but or if they stayed as bad as they were at the beginning of the year, it's a lot easier to justify selling off those assets. Now that they're in this middle and now that they're actually playing the best hockey they've played all year, if they win today, they'll be on a five game winning streak for the first time in almost two years. Like This will be the best I've seen them play since I got here covering this team. I wonder how much more difficult it makes uh, the decision for the Flames in terms of selling off assets. We've seen, we've heard reports of of, of extension talks between the team and Noah Hannafin. Maybe Chris Tanev still goes. Maybe Elias Lindholm still goes too. Seems like they might still be pretty far apart in terms of negotiating a contract. This is a guy who, at the beginning of the year, let everyone know that he wanted to stay, but money clearly is what's holding this up here. But for this team, as I remember going going back to an interview that uh, Don Maloney did with uh, Ryan Leslie of Sportsman a couple weeks ago, saying that the players have to dictate this. And considering how some of these other teams in this wildcard chase in the Western Conference are right now, I'm thinking of a team in particular like Seattle that had a winning streak snapped earlier this week, and they've lost back-to-back. Thinking of teams like Vegas and L.A. who are further ahead of them in the standings, but they've they've lost a couple games as of late in Vegas in particular with Jack Eichel injured for the foreseeable future. If the Flames want to make the decision even tougher for Craig Conroy and management, I think now's the time to go on that run and 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 win a few more games. And even if this streak comes to an end, you have to put together more and more of those games mm-hmm. to make the decision all the tougher for management. Yeah, it feels like a bit of a, diff, uh, a, a tricky spot to be in where uh, a short sample could kind of determine what you're doing and, and at least put you back 12 months or kind of change... Uh, where you're at least headed over a 12-month period. So I wonder, like, 
you know, fans are smart. They're, they're not going to really be fooled, I don't think, by a short win streak or a decent win streak. What do they want? Like, what do Flames fans want to see accomplished this year? They want to rebuild. I literally did a midseason survey for the athletic and the majority of fans who responded, they want to rebuild. There are a handful of them that want to retool, but very few fans want this season to end without some form of prospects or draft picks coming the other way. And to be honest with the pending UFAs that they have again, a Hannafin, a Tanev or, or an Elias Lindholm, if this team comes out of this year and they don't get a sufficient haul for these players, if even if they sign Hannafin and they trade Lindholm, if it's not sufficient enough, I mean, we're, we're going to critique that. But one other thing, Craig Connery, like the first press conference he had when he was unveiled as general manager, he straight up said he did not want to repeat of what happened with Johnny Gaudreau in which he had a star. He had a superstar player leave his team for nothing and he didn't get any assets back in any trade or anything like that they left it not left it to the last minute but they were talking to him until the very last minute and the player decided you know what i'm going to be closer to my family i'm going to the states they do not want that at least they made that clear from jump and if it gets to a point where they go past the deadline and the pending ufa situation is still an issue that is going to open up Flames management to a ton of criticism going forward. But a lot of fans in this market, they definitely want to rebuild. They definitely want some form of retool. I'm just not sure if a lot of those fans, especially who want that scorched earth <laughs> rebuild, I don't know if they're going to be all that satisfied because I, I'm not convinced that Craig Conroy at least wants to go that route. I think he's much closer to wanting a retool. I don't, I'd be surprised if he goes scorched earth. I've heard other people or a lot of fans say, well, what can we get for Blake Coleman? What can we get for Jacob Markstrom? Who's now on a trade board with, even though he has an NMC, he's playing really well, but people are wondering, Hey, what could be gotten for a, for a player of his caliber? I'd be really surprised if, if the flames end up going that route. Tell us about the Texas tiger, Blake Coleman. Uh, what's going on with the, the new goal song, Katy Perry roar, like the hot streak, the vibes seem to be high in that locker room, whether the fans want a, a full teardown or not. You got the Texas tiger. It, I, I think Blake Coleman's is riding it, man. He's enjoying it. I believe his dad, <laughs> rusty, mm-hmm. uh, came up with the nickname Texas tiger and, uh, I was told someone from Flames Games Operations, uh, they were the ones who just kind of spur the moment they picked out the song uh, Roar by <laughs> Katy Perry after he scored the other night. That was not his decision, but he did have fun with it. Uh, when we talked to him after the Arizona game, he came in singing the song and that got a big laugh out of everybody. But <laughs> he's really been contributing for this team. I think for teams that want to be competitive, you need guys like Blake Coleman. I mean, look, he's won Stanley Cups with the Tampa Bay Lightning playing in a third-line role, and, and he's essentially doing that right now, playing on a really good line with Andrew Manchapani and Michael Backlund. As long as you keep Backlund and Coleman together, they do a lot of the dirty work. They work up and down the ice, and Coleman's just on a is just scoring like a rate we haven't seen from him. This is like the third time he's hit 20 goals in a season, but if he keeps up that pace, he's probably going to break his single season high for goals. He's already matched his single season high for points at 38 too. Like he's, he's been playing really well. And the thing with him too, that I think also a lot of us in, in Calgary, the media like with him is that he's a leader and he knows what it takes to, to win, which makes him a really easy guy to go to whenever we need quotes for what's <laughs> the, the, the heat check with this team. What's mm. the pulse with this team or what do they need to do to get out of, of certain situations? He's, he's, he's living the life now. And, and I think the Texas tiger personality, that's just <laughs> another layer to what he's been experiencing in Calgary. Uh, less than 30 seconds for this answer, please, Julian, uh, your prediction yes. for the biggest move Calgary makes before the deadline. 
They trade Elias Lindholm. Uh, they get either a first round pick or a lower, lesser prospect or a higher quality prospect at a lesser draft pick. I think Elias Lindholm, if I had to pick a guy who's going to get moved for sure, it's going to be him. Okay. We'll look forward to that. Uh, Calgary could be the liquidation sale <laughs> of the year. Uh, and you'll be covering that for the athletic and Sportsnet 960. We appreciate you coming on. We'll, we'll guarantee more time for you <laughs> next time we have you on. Hey, man, let me know. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks, Julian. Appreciate is. it. Uh, yeah, Lindholm, pending UFA, uh, was a you know, runner-up for the Selkie in 21-22. Uh, looks a little bit different without Goudreau and Kachuk on his line mm-hmm. this year, but he's going to be maybe their hot topic uh, with Jacob Markstrom, who you know is not really officially out there yet, but they could be. Uh, we'll take a quick break. we got Aaron Bronsetter joining us in studio after the break, uh, UFC 297, uh, only a day or two away, and he is fresh off that press conference that looked extremely heated. Uh, that's all next on the Fan Pre-Game. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back to the Fan Pregame, Sportsnet 360, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Uh, as a reminder, we're back on at 8.30 on Sportsnet 590, The Fan, to tee up Leafs and Flames. That'll be up um, for a 9 p.m. puck drop. we got Toronto facing the Bulls tonight, 7.30 p.m. on Sportsnet. DeMar DeRozan back in town. We're just talking about old familiar faces, and we got another one back-to-back with Kyle Lowry. Um, But we're going to get into some UFC talk because we do have the ability to go on Saturday. We're excited. It's going to be our my first time, at least, uh, to UFC 297. And Aaron Bronstetter, fresh off of a big press conference, just ripped into the building uh, to join us. So uh, let us know. uh, How are you recovering from that crazy, chaotic press conference you were just at? (laughs) Yeah, it felt like we were at like a rock concert. The fans were going crazy. Um, People were scalping tickets outside. They're free. So the tickets are free. They were gone. Like it was capacity about an hour beforehand. And people were selling tickets to fans that wanted to go in. Damn. They had gotten for free, I guess, an hour earlier. So, uh, I mean, I guess ticket. that's the free market for you. But uh, <laughs> yeah. it was a pretty awesome experience. So is that like the proof of concept for Dana White to continue to come back to Toronto, to come back to Canada when you have situations like that? I, got, I, I just saw on Twitter, like everyone's saying, this is one of the craziest press conferences ever. <laughs> is that like all you need if you're Dana White to be like, yeah, we should be coming here uh, twice a year at least? Well, Dana's made no secret about loving the city in mm. general. I mean, you go back to McGregor and Mayweather when they did the press stop, that one that they did at... Uh, I guess it's called Budweiser Stage mm-hmm. now, mm-hmm. is, I mean, that was the most memorable stop by far of the press conference. And the amount of work that it took to get mixed martial arts legalized in Ontario and sanctioned in Ontario to host the event at Rogers Centre, which is still the only mm-hmm. stadium show they've ever done in North America. I think that Toronto holds a pretty special place in Dana White's heart. And I think that today was just a reminder of why. Mm. So the uh, the main card, two very different fighters. Um, I think I'm starting to understand that. I, as I said, I'm new to this. So I'm like, you know, consuming as much media as I can. And I um, cannot be more, I guess, uh, surprised at the two different guys that are in uh, the ring on Saturday night. So let's start with, uh, I, I think you had a, a sit down on Sportsnet uh, with Dracus, right? And, and I want to know a little bit about what you learned from that discussion with him. And everyone can go check it out on sportsnet.ca as well. Yeah, Dracus is an interesting guy. And I think, 
coming from South Africa, we haven't really seen a lot of successful fighters in the UFC from South Africa. And to see how much pride he has in being from the region and from being potentially the first South African champion, I think is is very interesting because mm-hmm. it's a place where typically when fighters came from South Africa, they would lose in the UFC. It's We've seen that with a lot of different countries that have gotten on the map lately. Mexico, for example, China. A lot of the fighters that came from those regions early on were almost like cannon fodder for the UFC, but it was still a good way to galvanize those audiences and build new mixed martial artists for the future. So we're seeing that start to come to fruition now. And just speaking with Drakus, you can just see how zeroed in he is on becoming mm-hmm. champion. Like He's said to me many times in the past when I've spoken to him that being the champion is not the goal. The goal is to be the greatest ever. Wow. So for him, this is just another stepping stone to his larger goal of being the greatest of all time. And at, I think he's only 29 years of age. So he's just like entering his prime mm-hmm. now at, at that weight class. I think it's going to be interesting to see what he can do if he does end up winning on Saturday. He seems like a good guy, uh, but he won't be the guy, I don't think, that people are cheering for in the main event uh, <laughs> on the weekend. That would be Sean Strickland, at least by uh, what we heard at the press conference. Uh, Strickland is a different cat. Uh, why do you think he has the support, at least right now, of, of the fans? And how do you see it playing out when we actually get to the event? Do you think it will be unanimously in approval for Sean Strickland once UFC 297 reaches its main event. Well, like you said, with the press conference, if that's any indicator, I think that that's probably the way it's trending. It didn't seem like he said anything that upset Canadians, specifically today at least. Mm. And uh, if he did say anything to offend Canadians, it would have been yesterday where people were not cheering for him today. So I think we we can read the tea leaves there Mm. and see that people are going to be getting behind him. I mean, we're in a sport that is often predicated on bravado and machismo and things of that nature. So you have a guy that likes to speak his mind like Sean Strickland, it seems like that's something that the fans resonate with. Mm-hmm. So how do you think it's going to play out in the main event? Do you have a pick? I think that the way that it likely goes is I would expect that if the fight ends the first three rounds, Drakus will win. Mm. And if it goes the distance, that Sean Strickland will win. I'm surprised that Drakus is the underdog. I wouldn't have pegged it that way. I think that a lot of people are still sleeping on Drakus Duplessis. I don't know mm. what it's going to take for people to convince him or convince the public that he's an incredible fighter. It's been really awesome to see his ascent in the UFC. And he also, before his last fight, got surgery on his nose. He was somebody who used to only be able to breathe through his mouth. I think he only was able to get like 5% of his oxygen through his nose. And I think that he was fighting in the UFC (laughs) with that kind of a crutch is pretty (laughs) remarkable. So now he has like the full capacity of oxygen. And a lot of people are questioning his cardio. I talked to him about this when I sat down with him as well. And what a lot of people don't realize is that Pretoria, South Africa, where he trains, has a similar altitude to like Salt Lake City and Mm. Denver. Like it's a very high altitude place. Mm. So any questions about his cardio, I think that if he's training at altitude like that in a city that is, you know, is again, so high above sea level that his oxygen and his his cardio is going to hold up. I've had to do those trainings before, but with like the mask, like the altitude. It's crazy. Like, that's a whole nother world. So this guy's going to be ripped. He's jacked. He's ready to go. His I'm cardio just convinced is amazing. I need that surgery. And that'll, like, <laughs> yeah. solve uh, all the issues <laughs> in my life. Uh, so these two fought in the stands at a UFC event recently. Um, and, of course, you, you mentioned the machismo and selling the fight and all that stuff. But if uh, you're a UFC fan and you're on the UFC uh, YouTube page, you saw a handshake between them and kind of pleasantries exchanged uh, earlier on this week. Are, are you surprised that it seems like there's a cordial nature between the two leading into Saturday night. Yeah, I think the hostilities are a little bit behind them now. I think that they kind of got it out of the way in December, and now they're just ready for the task at hand. And I think, honestly, that probably works to the favor of Sean Strickland because he won't be emotional going into the fight. I don't think Drakus was ever really going to be emotional going into the fight, but whenever you do get emotional 
in a fight. Sometimes that works for fighters, but for a guy like Sean Strickland, I think that would work against him. So mm. I think that if you are going to look at the, the mental side of things, that perhaps that gives him a little bit more of a leg up than he otherwise would have had had he been emotional going into it. So this is an exciting, uh, I guess, start for a new chapter for UFC in Canada. I wonder for you having, you know, I think it's nine Canadians um, there on Saturday and this opportunity, and obviously with Sportsnet, we're excited about that as well. But do you think this is the start of something really big or a slow build maybe for getting Canadians more involved and, and, and more recognized at the UFC level? I think so. I think that we're if we saw what we saw today at the mm. press conference, I think that we've got <laughs> a lot of really diehard fans mm. for the UFC. And I think the, the rest of the potential for this sport in terms of its growth in Canada relies on people understanding the sport. Mm. The problem is when That's you start... That's your job. To, well, that is my job. <laughs> no <Yeah>. pressure. <laughs> but it's also when you see a lot of the things that we've seen this week in terms of fighters speaking their mind in ways that I think a lot of people would take exception to, mm. I think that that could hinder the sport. Like mm. I, I think that it's going to be hard for a lot of people to see the beauty in mixed martial arts. And again, that's kind of what, mm. what I'm here for is to explain to people why this is more than a sport of, you know, bravado and machismo and fighting, that there's a lot of artistry to this sport, that there's a lot of strategy to the sport. And I think that if people can kind of look past um, a lot of the histrionics involved and look at the sport and, and watch it from a tactical standpoint, that you're seeing something that is real-time problem-solving. I think I said this to you guys last time I was here. Like, yeah. That's what I think is the real beauty of this sport, is you're pe- seeing people solve problems in real time that have dire consequences. And I think that if you can watch the sport through that lens, you'll start to enjoy it a little bit more. Let's talk about some of the Canadians that will be in action Saturday night. Uh, Mike Malott gets top billing uh, amongst those from north of the border. Uh, it's not a must-win, I guess, against Neil Magny, but I-, I feel like this fight for him, there's more risk than reward and of course there's reward because he's going to get a chance to have a moment in canada inside the ufc octagon if he wins but neil magny is like a savvy veteran and he's on the downturn so this isn't like a an amazing victory if it's done from mike malott um but there's a real chance that neil magny could veteran his way through this one and maybe pull the upset so do you see that sort of scenario uh, uh shaping up for malott do you see like the potential pitfalls here in this big matchup well, I think that this is the litmus test for him. And Neil Magny is the perfect litmus test because this is the hardest test of his career, I think, by far. Neil Magny has more fights in the welterweight division than anybody in history, more than George St. Pierre, more wins than George St. Pierre. Mm. I mean, this is a guy that's been around the block and seemingly has figured out how to use his long-range weapons and against somebody like Malad, who's a smaller guy for the division, that could be troublesome for him. So I think that this is a really interesting test, but I think this is the test that he needs at this stage in his career. You know, we're seeing Mike Malott get all of these finishes. He's beating people. He's becoming a star, you know, on, on this stage here in Canada. And, and you saw at the press conference how much support he has. I think that he needs to get a win like this to prove that he is uh, worthy of the UFC rankings. And this is, again, the sort of thing that you want for his slow progression. A guy like Neil Magny, who has been a great gatekeeper in this division to, this, you know, see whether or not you're worthy of being ranked. Uh, Charles Jordan is the... Uh... Canadian I'm most excited to see partly because he's an action guy you guaranteed to have a good fight uh, with Sean Woodson but I guess my take on him is that there's a chance that he's not the best Canadian in terms of like you know uh, the ranking or whatever inside his division but he might have the best UFC career among Canadians that we're going to see this Saturday night because he's an action fighter he's only 28 years old and Dana White's definitely going to want him to feature on cards especially in Canada, moving forward. Do you, do you see uh, that? Like, am I onto something there with Charles Jourdain and the future he may have in this company? Yeah, I think you're definitely onto something. And this is somebody who 
is the most tenured Canadian on the roster right now. And he just started fighting before the pandemic. So, I mean, mm-hmm. he's somebody who uh, is still relatively new to the promotion. The last time that the UFC was in Ontario, I met him backstage. He had just signed with the promotion. So it's, it's pretty great to see his ascent. And I think what makes Charles Jordan special is he's in a division featherweight where you have a lot of these action fighters where they can kind of tailor make all of these fun matchups for Charles Jordan. And it's, they did that with Duho Choi when he faced him. And I think that that is going to be kind of his place in the division. And when you have that sort of place in the division, if you win enough of those fights, that's where you start to get into title contention. Next best Canadian prospect on the card. I know we're not going to run through all nine of them, uh, but you mentioned two already. Is there someone um, that has a good upside that we should be looking at, maybe even younger or, or just making their opportunity to break through now? Well, there's a new signee, uh, Siri Sidi, who was on the Dana White Contender Series and earned a contract there. And he's actually having a rematch with the guy that he beat on the Contender Series because it was something of a controversial stoppage. But he's somebody that uh, people have been raving about in this country for some time. And I'm really excited to see what he does in his debut. I think that he should be able to get the win here. And I think that he's a prospect that we can certainly keep our eye on. You know, a lot of these other fighters that we have on the card are kind of in their early 30s. So it's... You know, the fighters you want to look for are the ones that are still in their 20s that have a little bit more time to, I guess, marinate and build that star upside and star potential. Okay, let's talk about what we should expect. Uh, do you have a fight of the night prediction? And then Ailish is going to ask you about, like, what, you know, how do we prepare? Et- like, etiquette when what do she's I there, what, like, what, what do she's got to do, do when she gets down there. But <laughs> first, uh, uh, one that we have to be in the seats for on Saturday night. I, I would say Charles Jordan and Sean Woodson is a, a really, really interesting fight that I think. Uh, has fireworks written all over it. I think that's going to be a really fun one. Again, with Charles Jordan, he's one of these kind of can't-miss fighters. You're either going to get an exciting finish or three rounds of back-and-forth action. So he's somebody that I would say you're going to want to look out for from an entertainment standpoint. I think the main event's going to be awesome as well. I think that that's a great matchup. But in terms of etiquette at a UFC event, I mean, I, I don't really I don't have, think that, don't have that a whole lot of tips that for not, you. That's like a... I mean, don't bring your top hat and monocle. Okay. Just go and have fun and, and let loose. I think that the crowd there is going to be electric and people are going to be having a great time. And, uh, it's a if, long if, night. If you're not willing to be part of that great time, you might be annoyed by some of the people that you're, you're sitting. True, well, I'm ready. Well, we've seen the reactions from like Rogan and Cormier and whoever's doing like there's uh, they react when something happens. I wonder in press row, can you? Can you throw a fist bump if if like, something's going on? Like, do I have to be a pro? Like, what, yeah, how much of a pro does she have to be consuming this event? <laughs> I think that you can use your discretion on that one. But uh, <laughs> I, 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 don't, I mean, you know, if you're following the journalistic code, you're not really supposed to do that. But at mm. the same time, ah. it's really hard to ignore a building full of right? your country people cheering for your country people <laughs> yeah. when you're, uh, you're sitting in a building that is going to be as crazy. Like that Vancouver card in June had a special vibe. Mm. And I think that this one is going to be even more over the top based on what I saw earlier today at the press conference. I I honestly think that the atmosphere is going to be awesome. And, you know, I think that the UFC is actually a better sport to watch on TV for the most part. I I wouldn't want to go to every event live, but when you get to go to a live event, you get to experience something in your hometown where people are going crazy and and you get to feel that there's nothing like it. If I'm not mistaken in that uh, Vancouver event, the Canadians were perfect. Yeah, they were 6-0. and oh. So nine Canadians mm. this time around. I'm going to set the over-under at seven and a half victories. Over-under Canadian wins, seven and a half. That's a high number. That's I'm, really... I'm going to take the under yeah. on that, I think. That's a and terrible I, I, number. Why? I, it was I six or six the, last time. I hope for the over, but I mean, that's, that's a pretty high percentage. We're getting to six or seven at least. That's a good line. Can you admit that's a good line? 
No. No? I'd probably go six Six and a half, half. maybe. Okay, okay. You know I'm the handicapper. Like, I make the lines on this show. Uh, Well, I hope if if I'm betting, I want him to make the lines. Aaron makes the bets, though. Or Aaron Aaron puts his bets on on, uh, X or Twitter. So we need a couple. Like, you got a couple that you're... uh, The sides you're you're confident in this weekend. (laughs) Um, the, The bet that I think is the best one that you can make would be Drake is Duplessis. If fight goes to a decision, it's a no-action bet. It's like minus 120. So what that means is, I'm getting really into the, the betting Okay, no, no, here. we like this. So I what mean, that we means get is basically, if the fight goes to a decision, the bet's void. So you get mm-hmm. your money back. So basically, as long as he wins the fight um, inside the distance, you get... You, you win the bet, but you also have the insurance of if it goes to a decision, because you get your money back. Because Strickland is more likely because to I win think by Strickland decision. is more likely to win by decision. Okay. Exactly. So um, that, that's that the way that I knows, would he's, he's ready to go five <laughs> yeah. rounds. That's the safest. That, that's a safer bet. But, I mean, you could also just take Duplessis straight up. He's an underdog, and I think that uh, he's not, not the deserved underdog. You had a specific bet you were telling me about, Justin. I was going to do Duplessis uh, by KO parlayed with under two and a half. <sighs> So wins in the first <laughs> half of the fight. And that was like plus. Can I fix this for you? Sure. Please. So I want you to fix. I'm, we're, <laughs> we're betting every single, <laughs> yeah. every single fight. So we're going to be talking to you about I it. I like what you're thinking. But take Duplessis by KO or submission. Because I think that his submission game is, is vastly underrated. Okay. And that that's a certain, like a definite path. That, that See, that's a trap go. I could have fallen, in, fallen yeah, into. Yeah, and then, right then there. he ends up getting the finish. Everybody's excited. And you're like, oh, man. I had sort of the right idea. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know. I had the, the wrong exact outcome. Okay, so Strickland's demanding that they just go toe-to-toe in the middle, but you expect some some grappling from Duplessis? Well, yeah, and there's always the chance that he knocks Strickland down and then takes his neck, right? Like, they're, just because you agree to go toe-to-toe with somebody standing up doesn't mean you're not going to knock them down and then, you know, go to the ground with them because that's the way you want to finish the fight and become the champion of the world. I mean, it, it's not necessarily a saying we're going to stand the mm-hmm. entire time and I'm going to let you back up if I knock you down. You want to get the finish. You're not going to play games with the championship on the line. We're, we're cheering for Duplessis, Oh, right? big time. We're, du- we're Team Duplessis. We yeah, might be the only ones so. in the building. We might have to be, like, quiet about it. But well, I we're going to be quiet anyway. We're, we're yeah, covering. Yeah, you know, <laughs> we're no being fist, pros. No fist pumps, nothing Slow like claps. that. Uh, J- uh, Justin wants to know if there's food for the press. I, that is definitely an A-list <laughs> question. <laughs> definitely um, do you know about question. Our, well, Justin, since you're really concerned about before? that, I think that, uh, <laughs> yeah, there, there will be uh, food available. That's all we need to know. And the UFC usually has a very good spread, I That's what I kind of assumed, actually. We just need to know our dining plans These beforehand. These are some pretty bougie questions we're getting here. I, the UFC <laughs> audience are turning us off right no, now no, for asking no. about food in the press. Oh, uh, no. We're so excited. I'm, like, really excited because, as I said, it's my first time going. It's here in our city. Uh, you know what? There's nothing like it. Yeah, like, when, really when, you're, when you guys are in the building, you're going to feel an atmosphere that you have never felt at a live event before. I Ooh, think I, I can say that confidently about this, this event. Okay. Well, thanks so much for stopping by again. I know it's been a busy couple days. Uh, t- what's on tomorrow? So tomorrow we've got the... Early weigh-ins, they start yeah. at 9 a.m., so it's gonna be at, intense. at the fighter hotel, they're going to be getting on scales, and this, it's not really going to be intense unless you're like... What's the craziest thing you've seen while weight cutting has been happening? Oh, I mean, where to start? I mean, weight oh, cutting is... Uh, this, this is why, like, what I've seen the, people have to get carried to the scale. <gasps> yeah. yeah. You see the towel come out. With, they used to use a towel to, like, because people have to undress to get on the scale, like, yeah. completely undress because they want to get rid of as much weight as possible. People mm-hmm. have cut their hair in the past to try to, like... Oh my lose, God. lose the <laughs> they weight. Just show up for the fight bald when they had the seriously. Full. No, yeah. this happened before. Yeah, just um, for an extra ounce. Yeah, so because they uh, get docked like 20, 30 percent if they don't make weight yeah, in terms of their exactly. Paycheck. It goes to their yeah. opponent. 
Um, and in the championship Oof. fight, you lose the belt. Like if you don't make weight for a championship fight, you're not. So are they eligible eating to win the dinner? Belt. Like what's their what's a Friday look like if they're fighting Saturday? They it's fasting the whole time. They fast like right now well, no, until no, no, they no. weigh in tomorrow. Uh, on the Thursday, like yeah. they'd be fasting so they're not on Friday. They they can eat after they weigh in. So anytime <sighs> after they like if they weigh in at nine oh five a.m., they can eat the at nine oh six a.m. So right? today. They're not consuming anything. Maybe that's why they're so like angry. For the most part, they're, they're there hangry some, a little bit. Michael Lott's a smaller welterweight, so mm-hmm. there's a chance that he could have a small meal tonight. Like a lot of oh. a lot of the fighters, if you're dieting properly, you don't need to cut all that much weight. So mm. I'm not um, made for this. That's tough. I, I I mean, if I fast for like 14 hours, I'm like a mess. I don't <laughs> yeah. know how these guys do this. 14 hours. Too. These guys. Wow, that's actually impressive. When yeah. we get to the office, and we have to hit the, the snacks. With the female fighters, up. they also have the uh, their cycle, which can impact yeah. the amount of weight that they're mm. able to cut Goodness. as well. So they have to worry about that as well. Like it's an extra layer on top of the concern of making sure that you're going to be on weight at a certain time. And, you know, things like um, not eating can mm-hmm. trigger something like that as well. And then you're, you know, if you're fighting for a championship, what do you do? You, we've seen fighters like drop the belt because they can't make weight. I was at the PWHL Toronto game last night and two women fighters were dropping the puck, but I, I missed the puck drop because I was on the show till seven. The puck drop was at seven, but it was really cool because they got an opportunity, uh, you know, with the women's team. I'm trying to figure out who they were, so I'm pulling it up. Yeah, and um, one thing that's kind of really cool about cool. the UFC, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm thinking you're trying to wrap, but no, um, no. one thing that I, I've always found cool, and I was actually talking to Dana kind of off air about this today, is there's not really any sports where you see men and women kind of on the same mm. card or with, mm-hmm. with women headlining and the pay structure is the same. So as much as you have Sean Strickland making these outlandish comments yesterday, um, we also have to remember that like the, the co-main event has two openly gay women on the mm. card. Um, so it's not like people that are from the LGBTQ plus community are being deplatformed by the UFC, even though they give a voice to somebody who might say offensive things about that community. If you are somebody from the LGBTQ plus community, you're represented at this UFC card in the co-main event. And it is also different in that you can kind of just be the person you want to be. There's some like pitfalls and some dangers with that. But like everyone kind of just has their opinion as like a a freelancer, right? Like everyone's just kind of freelancing. Yeah, they're contractors. They are independent contractors. And and they have their own opinions and they can do and say what they want. And and that's just like there's no, hey, you got to be under this umbrella, which again, Good and bad, but yes. uh, it is interesting and different in that way, for sure. It's an interesting, different sport. And when you guys are there Saturday, I'm sure you'll experience it firsthand. <laughs> we'll have lots of stories uh, on Monday to recap. Maybe some that, you know, we can't share, but we'll have a, we'll have a very, very fun time. Well, we appreciate you helping us set it up uh, again this week. It's been an absolute blast. We're really excited for Saturday night, uh, of course, uh, at Scotiabank Arena. We'll let you go now, Aaron, because My we've pleasure. had a long couple of days. Anytime. Thank you guys for having me, as <laughs> Thank always. Thank you so much. Uh, Aaron Bronsetter, of course, UFC and MMA reporter here at Sportsnet. Uh, UFC 297 in about... Two days from now, we got to figure out our plans. We got to figure out what we're doing, but we will be there at Scotiabank Arena, um, and we got our bets pretty much settled. I'm glad that we discussed them with the, the expert. Yeah, I mean, he, he already he already helped us uh, pre- <laughs> or prevent a uh, a dark or a blind spot. I guess you could call it. I, I think we need to like we got like a text chain going on again, like pre fight yeah, everything. We I need all do. the information from Aaron to make sure that we're making the best bets here. We, I didn't realize really, and this is sounds so amateur hour, but there's a lot, like this is a long event, right? I, I, yeah, it's pretty long. Arrival time was like 5 p.m. And then like the end of it was past one. I'm like, I don't, yeah. I don't hang that late guys, but I'll have to take a, you know, a little nap before yeah. we head out. Well, if you're going to see Sean Strickland go down, I think so you're like, going to have to What time would that start? I think the main events are generally like 12, 15. They start. Yeah. Justin. Yeah. I'm going to get a good nap in on Saturday. Yeah.
We're going to have to you prepare for this in many ways. You don't stay out late either. This no, is going to be difficult, difficult for the difficult two of us. Yeah, that's true. I don't, I don't think you'll be able to be dozing off. Oh, in God, that no, no, like, no. Of course the, I won't be. The, the, it's it's going to be insane in there. Insane in there. I actually, if people are listening uh, today or tomorrow, uh, you can send us a message, 59590. Like, have you been to UFC? What to expect? Like, tips and tricks from mm. those that are not rookies. Two uh, big like amateurs here. <laughs> yeah. You've been to one, but not the same. Not the same. No, he didn't have a press conference like today's. No, no, that's chaos. Um, okay, we got a couple more minutes here, so let's take a look at some best bets possibly before we take a break, and we'll be back at 8.30 um, on Sportsnet 590, the fan, for mm-hmm. the Flames and Leafs game. I-, I am going to go to the Flames and Leafs game because it's revenge night. <laughs> awesome Kadri, uh, a goal is just plus 180 for the Calgary Flames. That's always what happens, and you know it will happen. And then uh, Morgan Riley coming off of being nominated for his first NHL All-Star appearance. Uh, he's been the one of the best stories of the Maple Leafs this year, maybe the quiet story as well. For him to get two-plus points... Is plus three twenty, and I think the Leafs are going to try to avenge their uh, tough four games that they've just had. So I think they'll be putting the puck in the net. Yeah, I like the Leafs too. Uh, I'm just going to go with a simple one though: Leafs uh, on the money line minus one thirty five. Uh, we haven't they really talked this. much about that Oiler game, which was mm-hmm. nuts. We will do that at mm-hmm. eight thirty uh, in the Leafs pregame show. Um, but I think they like. I'm not to defend Mitch Marner in any way, and we'll get to that at eight thirty. But I did think they played pretty well. And I just think the Oilers played spectacularly mm-hmm. well. I, I think the Leafs are going to be hungry. I think the Leafs hearing all the noise, hearing the criticism. Oh, and it's noisy. But also playing reasonably well at times uh, in that game. I think the Leafs are going to have a good performance tonight. When you get close to even money on the Leafs, it's generally worth taking a look. I think the Leafs win tonight. Minus 135 will be my only bet. Looks like Martin Jones will be starting in that again. Uh, Which is, is important when betting. Toronto Maple Leafs. It is. Uh, the Leafs on the road at the Saddle Dome um, at 9 p.m. puck drop. That's on Sportsnet 590. The fan here will be back at 8.30 to help you tee that up. Uh, you got Raptors and Bulls in about 30 minutes on Sportsnet. Uh, they had a massive win last night against the Heat, a shorthanded win. They're trying to change the narrative uh, whether Justin believes in Messiah or not. Oh, boy. Uh. I just hope he doesn't have dinner with Bruce Brown. I don't want them to... We gotta go. I don't want a relationship. We gotta go, everyone. Have a great night.